Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. have changed good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday july 18th 2008 this week episode 89 comes to you from beautiful coriopolis pennsylvania my name is joe hughes or radio joe and here with me in the studio is the z-man cliff slotnick good afternoon always a pleasure joe good afternoon cliff and at the controls is the wingman chris boisel Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It looks like our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, is going to be joining us here. We've got a great show today, with uh, starting out with the microband trivia question. Then we've got James Sublet, MD, Section Chief of Pediatric Allergy and Clinical Professor at the University of Louisville School of Medicine. We'll go into a little more detail on his background in just a moment. At the end of the show, we'll come back and do our roundtable, bring in Dr. Wow and everybody else, and uh, do the roundtable to finish things up. We've been working hard on the iaqradio.com website, adding a blog every week and updating the website, so when you get a chance, go to iaqradio.com. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Okay, to contact the show, you can call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. Press 1 and join the show. You can also stream the show later, or you can download the show uh, at a later date. Go to the iaqradio.com website and follow the link that says go to the show. We, of course, appreciate any suggestions, and we answer questions. Take requests at joe.com. Hughes at iaqtraining.com or Cliff Zlotnick at unsmoke.com. Don't forget you can get your IICRC continuing education credits or IAQ Council renewal credits by emailing me and requesting a quiz again at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. I'm going to turn it over to Cliff for the microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe. (laughs) 
Well, listeners, I'm sorry to report there were no correct answers to last week's trivia question. Okay, the trivia question, Microman trivia question for Friday, July 18th, 2008. Anaphylaxis is a life-threatening medical emergency because of rapid constriction of the airway, often within minutes of its onset, which can lead to respiratory failure and respiratory arrest. What we're looking for today is for you to name the substance which is administered as the primary treatment for anaphylaxis. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. We have one trivia question open. Is that it? No. Just last week. Just last week's. Great. Okay. Our uh, trivia folks jump on that one, and uh, we'll get you out a nice prize. James L. Sublet, MD, is a clinical professor and section chief of pediatric allergy at the University of Louisville School of Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky. He is also the managing partner of Family Allergy and Asthma with 16 sites in Louisville, Kentucky, and Indiana. Dr. Sublette is a clinical investigator with Family Allergy and Asthma Research Institute and the founder and chairman of Allergy Zone LLC, a company which focuses on the development and marketing of novel products that provide relief for people with allergies and asthma. Dr. Sublette serves on the Board of Regents Executive Committee for the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, the Board of Directors, and as Secretary of the Joint Council of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. And he's also on their combined Joint Task Force for Asthma Quality Assurance. He's also on the editorial board for the Annals of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Dr. Sublet serves as a clinical researcher, consultant, and speaker for numerous pharmaceutical and medical device companies. He was recently honored as the Gratis Faculty of the Year by the University of Louisville School of Medicine, Dr. Sublette received his BA from the University of Louisville and his MD from the University of Louisville School of Medicine. He completed a residency in pediatrics and a fellowship in allergy and immunology at the Department of Pediatrics Children's Hospital, University of Louisville School of Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome, Dr. Sublette. Maybe you're itching so you start to bitching cause it ain't fun. Give me a jingle if you start to tingle when you've been stung, allergy sufferer. I heard you got allergy sufferer, anaphylactic shock. When you were driving home, you popped a few prednisone, then took a turn for the ER. Now you won't forget again to get a fresh EpiPen, allergy sufferer. Okay, Dr. Sublette, hello. Do we have you on the line? I'm here. Love uh, the music. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. I've got a theme song before. You've got a theme song now, and we really we appreciate go. you uh, joining us here this week. Uh, I know you're a busy great man. Great to be here. Uh, well, let's let's start out with um, you know we did have Dr. Ulet um, on about a month and a half ago. We talked a little bit about asthma and allergy, but let's do a little um, quick review of exactly what is asthma first, and uh, maybe you could give us a definition of asthma to start with. Okay, well, asthma is a chronic illness. Uh, generally starts in childhood. Most uh, people who have asthma have, um, if you dig into their history, they'll go back into childhood. 
uh, it really has three components. Uh, we think uh, one uh, would be uh, uh, bronchospasm, which is uh, the medical term for when the airways get twitchy. So you have your, if you think your of your bronchial tree, like a tree turned upside down, with the leaves being the uh, the uh, lung sacs, the, the bronchial uh, airway is actually where the problem is with asthma. It doesn't really affect the air exchange down in the lungs, but you have um, obstruction in, the, in the, uh, the, the limbs and trunks of this, of this bronchial tree. And uh, one of the um, characteristics is the, these, uh, the um, passageways get twitchy and they become uh, spasmodic, and they, they'll, they'll close down, kind of shut down when people are having problems with their asthma. Uh, another hallmark of asthma is inflammation. That's really the underlying problem, and that's uh, in about 8 out of 10 times caused by underlying allergy problems. So people, great number of people that have, aller- that have asthma have allergies, and the reverse of that is about 1 out of 5 people that have allergies have asthma. Uh, and then the third component is a result of all that inflammation in the airway, you develop uh, increased mucus production. So those three things are what results in uh, what we call asthma. What external conditions seem to trigger asthma attacks? Well, you start out with the genetics. Most people have the underlying genetic predisposition. Unfortunately, they're just born with the, the odds that they may have asthma. And then, as I mentioned, allergy comes along and, and is one of the early triggers. So it may be um, early environmental exposure that a child may have, or it may be later in life. If you've been lucky enough to get through your childhood with it, maybe you would get exposure occupationally or in, just in day-to-day living. Uh, the other, other piece of viruses play a role. We know that some um, children especially will only start having asthma after they have uh, certain types of viruses. Uh, the uh, virus we call RSV is one of the early triggers. And then actually the common cold um, is the main viral trigger after you actually develop asthma. And then some people just have asthma that's not allergy, it's not virus, but it's just triggered by, uh, by irritants in the environment or things like maybe diesel smoke exposure at high levels or, or certainly cigarette smoke exposure has been known to... Uh, be a trigger in kids uh, as far as the initial, you know, start of the asthma. With respect to asthma, under under what conditions, or I guess better way to word that is, what typically when you have a hospital emergency room visit and someone's having an asthma attack, what what is most commonly the cause of that, the trigger? Well, one thing, any any emergency room visit with asthma is, is a treatment failure, and so those people hopefully would be, um, sometime would be able to see a specialist like what we do in allergy and asthma, just try to deal with that. But things that can trigger that, um, it could be either a seasonal trigger, like in the springtime or fall of the year, where we have very high pollen counts, maybe someone goes out in late May on Memorial Day weekend, they're at a picnic and they have, they're out there when the pollens are extremely high from grass. Uh, or earlier in the spring, um, uh, we were talking offline earlier about the Kentucky Derby. Uh, about the time the Derby hits here in Louisville, first weekend of May, you know, tree pollens usually out in the air and we actually have grass too, so you could be outside enough to have that trigger your asthma response. In the fall of the year, ragweed is a common pollen. 
Another big one is alternaria mold. Uh, alternaria, as you guys know um, in your professions, uh, is, is mainly found outdoors. We see it indoors occasionally, but most of the indoor alternaria comes from outdoor sources, and it's the uh, a very, very uh, potent trigger of asthma responses in people that have uh, allergy to alternaria mold. And then you have certain, I've already mentioned, diesel particulates, high levels of uh, you know, pollution in certain tar- times of year uh, with diesel particulates or other particulates in the air and ozone. Uh, we're having a pollution alert as we speak here in Louisville today with the heat and the midsummer inversion problems we've run into. So ozone could be a trigger for some people if, they, if they're outdoors that time of the year. Indoor triggers, it may be just something like exposure to, again, that you may have someone that's Maybe they're sensitized to an animal and they walk into a place where there's a cat and they may have a, an acute reaction or maybe they they have animals in their own home that they kind of tolerate day in, day out and they decide to run the vacuum or sweep the floor and they have a high level of exposure and that will trigger an acute reaction. So all those things can lead to an asthma attack. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got a follow-up uh, before we move on. Uh, would most emergency rooms have a physician uh, on staff who's experienced in, in allergies or not? Uh, they wouldn't in the ER. Uh, I would think in the last 25 years with in, increased training uh, of emergency room physicians, it's now a, a board-certified uh, specialty. Uh, they do have, uh, at least our pediatric emergency room doctors, uh, uh, have a, a lot of experience and training. That's actually a fellowship for them. And I, th- I would say that most of your emergency rooms would be staffed the people who are capable of treating the acute episodes. Where you get a little bit of a gap sometimes, depending on where you are, is there, they, they may not be as aware of what, it, of what they should do next. So they can get you through that episode, fix you up, but there's not as uh, always as good um, uh, information for the for the patient about follow-up and i think the real key message anyone listening out there you, you should not use your emergency room as as the place to manage your asthma that's where you go if you have a an attack to get through that attack but you want to be uh, uh at that point get get under somebody's a doctor's care who has uh, a specialty in, in allergy and asthma who could deal with the issues that really would eliminate the need to visit the emergency room. As I mentioned, a visit to the emergency room is actually a treatment failure for someone that has asthma. Uh, what's an allergy? An allergy, what we call as allergist, uh, is an immune response. Uh, you know, the lay public tends to call allergy generically just about anything that causes a respiratory irritation. But we, uh, as allergists, think of this as an immune response that's um, triggered uh, by a um, an antibody we call IgE. I know Don Olette, I mean uh, John Olette calls it uh, the evil antibody IgE. Mm-hmm. But uh, everyone's capable of making a little bit of it. The people that have allergies are predisposed again genetically to make a lot of it, and then they'll make a allerg- this antibody against very specific things. You know, for instance, I mentioned alternaria moles. You may have an antibody made against an alternaria mole. And when you get around that that mole spore, you then react and it triggers an allergic response. Kind of a way to uh, picture this would be like if you if you think of being burned, because that's what happens in an allergy response. You get a inflammation, usually of the mucosal membranes in the uh, 
airway and the, either the nose or sinuses or the lung. So that's kind of like the allergy response kind of acts like a flame, and that, that burns the airway. And you, then you have the inflammation. And that's what we distinguish between what we call an irritant trigger, which would be after you've got the inflammation, you may get around something like a strong odor or a smell, and that will trigger a very similar type end result. But you're not really allergic to that odor or smell. You just have the irritation of that. Now, some people will have a direct effect where they don't really have the allergy immune response, and, and some people may have a overreaction, so to speak, to um, you know strong odor smells, particulates, and so forth. As far as uh, allergies go, what are the most common triggers that you find in, in children and in adults, and are they the same or are they different? We tend to, and in, in, uh, the most common of all would be uh, uh, dust mite sensitivity, dust mite allergy, which is actually the byproducts from dust mites. Uh, and that's found uh, in young kids. Uh, you can actually, uh, uh, there's been studies showing the higher the level of exposure early on, uh, that can uh, uh, be a, um, an issue as far as high exposures resulting in more severe allergy, or particularly asthma. Uh, after that, you have uh, things like cat, cat allergens, a big one. Um, and then, uh, then you get more into the pollens, uh, you know, grass or tree pollens. There tends to be, if you're allergic to grasses, you tend to be allergic to all of them, just about the same way with trees. And then ragweed is a big one in the fall, so that's a very, very common, maybe our most common um, pollen allergy. Then uh, it, it's estimated, depending on who you, uh, the, the research you read, that the molds may be down in the you know 30 to 40 percent range, where it's not nearly as significant. Where dust mites are probably about 80 percent. Uh, and then at, you know there are certain molds that tend to be more allergenic. Um, Alternaria I mentioned, Cladosporium, Aspergillus. Um, uh, penicillium, not to be confused with penicillin, penicillium. Uh, so those are all the you know the common inhalant allergens. Now, when you get into foods, which is a much smaller population that really doesn't uh, you know lend itself to our topic of indoor air quality day, that would be more the you know peanut, egg things like that. They're very common. And when you say eighty uh, percent, I I'm, maybe I misunderstood, but um, of people with allergies. Does that mean that 80% of them will react positive for dust mite allergies? Yeah, somewhere in that vicinity. It's, it's in the 70 to 80% range of, of the perennial people. You know, a lot of people, again, especially when we get contacted this time or in maybe another month, will be, you know, called, I'll get calls from the local press. And uh, a lot of times people only think of allergy being seasonal, but actually two-thirds of people that have allergies have year-round problems. And that two-thirds of people that have allergy have year-round problems, about 80% of those will be dust mite allergic. Uh, then you have the uh, about one-third you know, one to 25% that have more seasonal allergy problems, and they may be, you know, have multiple pollens or mold problems only. What is allergic rhinitis, and what indoor environmental factors are most likely to be responsible for it? Allergic rhinitis is just the allergies of the allergy reaction occurring in the nose and the nasal passageways. It also involves, you know, can involve the sinuses and the uh, eyes are actually involved. It can affect the eustachian tube, the tube leads up to your middle ear. So people who have allergic rhinitis will often have the whole, you know, what 
in this area of the country, they call the Ohio Valley crud or sinus problems. But, it's, uh, you know, hay, hay, hay fever would be, uh, you know, the seasonal version. Um, so a lot of times people call it sinus problems, but it affects the entire upper airway, you know, from your throat on up. And it's it's triggered by all these things we're talking about, and and the symptoms you'll get. Most common symptom that bothers people is nasal congestion. So crying nasal congestion is number one. After that, you may have, um, uh, you know, runny nose or post nasal drainage. Um, if you're really congested, most of the drainage will go down your th- your throat, and that can cause the throat irritation. And then you may have uh, recurring sinus problems. Just a study published I just saw yesterday just came out uh, looking at um, most common cause of underlying uh, of the sinus problems is actually underlying allergy. Uh, and then you may have eye symptoms like itchy, watery eyes or sneezing, those kinds of things. But those are not as common as some of the uh, more chronic kind of congestion, drainage kind of issues. You know, I got a personal question for you. When, when my son was, was young, he was uh, diagnosed with pediatric asthma. And one of the things the doctor told us was that, you know, as he got older, he might grow out of it and one of the, I guess what my question is is as I get older I never had issues with my eyes before and this year I'm, I'm having it so if young people can grow out of it can people grow into them you can see allergies develop at any age or the symptoms develop at any age uh, it may change uh, over time um, but I've seen people in their 60s or 70s or you know report having problems the first time oftentimes you go back they've had minor problems just got worse and then the idea that kids outgrow allergy or asthma is somewhat of a myth in that uh, you got to be very careful with that because a lot of times what will happen is the children's airways are are very small when they're young as they grow the airway the amount of obstruction or congestion that's required to cause wheezing may may get to a point where there's not a lot of wheezy uh, uh, component to the asthma, it may be more of a chronic cough, it may become more intermittent. They kind of get out of that viral, you know, time of, of, of their lives when they're, you know, have five or seven viruses a year, and they have maybe one a year. So what we'll see in adults a lot of times, you go back and look at their childhood. They have, they had it as a child. They kind of went through a honeymoon period, if you will, where they had no problems at all or very minimal problems. Then they hit you know, midlife, and all of a sudden they're having trouble again. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it can be a continuum. You'll see this kind of wax and wane um, kind of a um, pattern with people that have a chronic or lifelong allergy and asthma. Or you have some people, as you mentioned, that can just out of the clear blue start having trouble. As, you know, we read about and hear that the incidence of asthma and allergy is increasing in the United States. Can you confirm or you know deny that and give us some idea of how quickly it is increasing if it is well, i've been been doing this about 30 years now and there's definitely been an increase over the last uh, 30 to 50 years of both allergy and asthma the latest statistics on asthma at least in the u.s it seems to be kind of leveling off and not as much of a uh, uh, exponential increase but it was a fairly steep curve and and when I, um, we used to quote 15 to 20% of people having allergy, now we're saying 25 to 30 uh, plus percent. There's been actually some studies, and um, a study was done out in Tucson, Arizona, which is a, 
uh, prospective study, meaning they look at kids from the time they're born forward as they grow and what happens to them, and they found as high as 40% of those children have evidence of allergy. So there seems to be a pattern of increasing um, uh, allergy, and then as a result, when we when you look at the percentages, so in the about one out of five people that have allergy have asthma, full-blown asthma. Uh, so that would be expected to follow along with that. We don't really know why. There's a lot of theories. This is a national, a worldwide trend in developed countries, and um, there's a lot of ideas and thoughts on it, but not any of them have been uh, totally proven. There's some some large epidemiologic studies that show that it may be related to uh, changes in, in exposure to uh, farm environments and things like that, but we're not really 100% sure about the, uh, the overall reason. How does this contribute, this increase contribute to health care costs in the United States? Oh, a great deal. I mean, if you look at just taking asthma alone, well, we can look at both of them actually, um, uh, asthma is the most common reason that uh, kids miss school. Uh, also, the most common reason children uh, are hospitalized. So that can uh, uh, be a huge uh, factor in healthcare costs. It's estimated there are about half a million, about five hundred thousand hospitalizations per year, uh, just due to asthma alone. About 14 million lost school days, and, and looking at the uh, the working um, the, uh, population, another 14, 14 to 15 million lost work days. Uh, fortunately, the mortality is down, so we do have better. You mentioned the ER management; we have better management, so we probably have been able to impact the mortality. That seems to be that was on the increase for a number of years. That's now leveling off. Uh, the drugs are very expensive. We have some great drugs, and um, but it's not uncommon for an allergy asthma patient to be on three or four of them to control their symptoms. And you're talking about even with copays now being 50, 60 bucks, out of pocket costs for the individual could be uh, you know a couple hundred bucks a month per person. And since asthma and allergy are family disorder, uh, you sometimes will have two or three members in the family, so all of a sudden that's still expensive out of pocket. If you look on the flip of that, the uh, health care costs to the, uh, to the managed care companies can be quite a bit. So drug costs are, are a huge factor, and that's one reason I've been interested for 30 years uh, in really looking at what can we do in the environment to really reduce uh, uh, the triggers. You know, So if we can stop triggers, a lot of times we can have a, a big impact on the, on the uh, outcome at the other end. Um, not been enough of that uh, really uh, I think they're just now starting to recognize that some of the environmental issues may be the way to go to try to head off the problem rather than treating it on the back end well that's a perfect segue into the second half of the show and what we'd like to do at this point is take a quick uh, break to thank our sponsors and then we'll bring Dr. Wow in for comments and uh, questions on the first half and then the second half of the show we'll go into a, more, a little more detail on that issue Sounds great. Okay. First, I want to thank Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. We'd like to thank Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. 
DryEase Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. DryEase is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. We thank DryEase, or I'm sorry, John Don Products for restoration and abatement contractor shop at jondon.com. All right, again, to contact the show, you can call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. Just press 1 and join the show. We've got a list of people on there. If you want to text in any questions, please feel free. You can also just go to iaqradio.com and follow the link that says go to the show. Don't forget we have those continuing education credits available for IICRC and IAQ Council. All right, let's bring the good doctor, Dr. Wow, in, our technical director. We have our uh, little intro bump for Dieter. Well, Beethoven is always good. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we, we're trying to figure out what you requested as a, rather than Beethoven. Oh, I, can, I can give you about 100 titles, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get From one off the air. classical music to jazz. Okay. Uh, we'll get one off anyway, the air. Anyway, I listened. I listened. I mean, I was, uh, I, I'm very much interested in that uh, for several reasons. Uh, I worked... You know, Joe knows that I worked 10 years for the Bayer Chemical Corporation, and we uh, made a couple of nasty chemicals, which were uh, chemically uh, active and reactive and, and, and uh, could react with uh, body fluids of, 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 of any kind and making circulating antibodies and so on. But the one thing, and we touched on it before, what bothers me and what puzzles me is, I grew up in Germany during and after the Second World War. I didn't know what asthma was, and I had absolutely no idea what an uh, allergic reaction was. It just didn't exist. I didn't know anybody in the whole school who had asthma. I didn't know anybody in the whole school, and I don't know how many hundred guys we were. Uh, Dieter, had any, yes. I can answer it for you. It wasn't permitted. <laughs> <laughs> well... Maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's, is that acquired? Is that due to the fact that we may be over-vaccinating? That is one of my theories. And trying to influence Mother Nature's immune system with some chemicals. Like, I never ever got vaccinated. In my whole life, well, I got vaccinated against smallpox, otherwise I couldn't travel. And I just got vaccinated about a year ago against shingles. My doctor told me that might be a good idea. I hope it works. And um, that was about it, because it, I grew up in a place where there were no doctors and certainly no syringes. And I have all the antibodies, all homemade, specifically made by my body, 100% tailor-made. I never, and Joe knows that I never had a cold in my life. I, it's unbelievable. So I don't know whether we should look into that uh, arena and, and um, look for answers. Well, Dr. Sublette, any comments? There's some studies on that. Uh, there have been some studies on vaccines and uh, asthma, and they're, they're seems to be no uh, relationship uh, from the standpoint of increased vaccines uh, uh. causing, um, um, you know, related to increased asthma. 
you know, actually, the, the it's interesting, you know, being from Germany, one, one of the uh, really breakthrough studies uh, uh, that supports what we call this, the hygiene theory um, uh, occurred in Germany outside of Munich. Uh, they looked at uh, a group of, uh, of farmers. If you, if you In Germany, it's very common, and I have a great shot of I, I grew up on a farm in south of Munich. <laughs> okay, so, you know, as you know, they have barns attached to the homes. Absolutely. Commonly. Absolutely, and they what they did they looked at they they recognized that well that may be well, there there you go that may be the the answer in that they've looked at endotoxin exposure, and it may be more the, related to the um, uh, too clean an environment if you will in a lot of Western civilizations and what they what they did they looked at, uh, at farmers or kids from farms who lived in these uh, farms where they had the barns actually attached and, and they have very high levels of exposure to farm animals early on in life and actually it's quite common that the uh, that the uh, uh, mother will be involved in the farming activity especially with the cattle and so the children from the very absolutely that is exactly where i grew up and how i grew up okay exactly. so, i know how to milk until today right so and i did too i grew up in a farm environment in here in rural kentucky and then you yeah. then they took they compared that same and as you as you would know uh, that farm, they have the villages who are very similar, same population, same economic uh, uh, type population, uh, and they looked at the people that lived in the smaller communities, and they had a higher incidence of allergy and asthma. But what they then looked at is the level of endotoxins. Uh, endotoxins are actually uh, byproducts of bacteria that's found in the farm animals, um, uh, you know, their, their droppings and so forth. And, and 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 they found that the level of endotoxin was much higher in the uh, farm families than in the in the families in the small towns. So that that was one of many studies that's been done uh, that developed what we call the hygiene theory, where we actually think it has to do with an immune response. So you're right about the immune response. That's kind of the opposite of what you might think, and that the too clean an environment can lead to uh, a switch in the immune reaction. Actually, at birth, we all have the predisposition to be allergic. So we all, if you think about a, a train track, we're all are kind of on the allergic track. Mm -hmm. uh, that has to, it, so then two things can happen, and we call this genetic plasticity. You have the genetics first, and that's kind of the, you know, the hand on the switch, so to speak, the genetics are. And then you have exposure. And that and, and the exposure, and then we feel like the early endotoxin exposure will actually allow that switch to occur and keep you off, and switches you off that allergic track onto a non-allergic track. If you don't have that happen, you tend to stay on the allergic track. Now, the reason all of us are there at the beginning is otherwise we'd react to our mothers. Uh, it, it has to do with the immune system. Well, that that has yeah. happened. Their children were found to be allergic to mother's uh, their mother's milk. Right. Right. Yes. Right. So, so that's the explanation. Now, that's in the big. Uh, the problem with that, that's a big epidemiologic kind of explanation. You can't apply that to an individual. So you can't say go out and get a bunch of pigs and put them in your child's bedroom. That's going to yep. solve the problem. <laughs> it has to. Do, it's, it's much more complex than that. Uh, and there have been other studies. Another interesting study was done in Germany when, before the, uh, the unification was they found that in East Germany, where there's a lot more pollution and, and other, uh, oh, you know, much lower standard of living, 
they had less allergy and less allergy and asthma problems. See, that. that proves my point again. <laughs> right, and so it has to do more with probably uh, uh, non you know these exposures to these things. And, they, and if you look at, um, they've done some similar uh, studies in in uh, the Mexican population that if you look at their home villages, they have less allergy and asthma than the next generation that. Uh, moves to the U.S. Incredible. Well, I so study that's... after study like that uh, showing that these types of uh, uh, so it's hard to it's hard to um, uh, apply that to individuals. Though that's where that's where we haven't reached that component. And there's some you talking about vaccines. There may be some uh, use of vaccines that could have potentially be uh, a potential uh, uh, benefit. Uh, we used to actually uh, years ago. Uh, some of the allergists used to vaccinate uh, to bacteria, uh, and there's been some discussion. Maybe that was beneficial, although at the time uh, people thought it was not. Uh, then the other other thing is a you know macro macrobiotics has been kind of a big thing here yeah. now. And again, there's not enough research to really tell you there's an answer yet, but that, that there's some lot of interesting uh, ideas, I guess, at this point. It- Interesting. I mean, maybe that's that's what we have to pay for, you know, for air conditioning and uh, <laughs> clean environment. It reminds me of a wonderful, wonderful article which I have on my desktop by Henry Smith. It's called Sufficient Challenge, and that is with the pack of dirt. <laughs> it gives you the immunity, and it it is with tongue in cheek. You know, there is this terrible, terrible stuff that is that refined sugar. But if you have brown sugar with all the contaminants in it, that's really good for you. <laughs> and it's one of those funny things. Uh, if anybody is interested, they can. I have it on my desktop, and I can disseminate it immediately. I that was an assignment that Henry Smith uh, gave me. Doctor Smith, he was always Doctor Smith to me, my toxicology teacher at the University of Pittsburgh. It was an assignment, and we had to criticize and, and, and look at the paper. Actually, the paper was written in response to zero carcinogens in food, and that was 1957, I think, we passed that law in the United States, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. But somewhere over there, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Dieter. We always and, appreciate it. And I also it. knew, without Googling, I guess that is a new word. Googling is a, relig- a legitimate word. But I know the answer to the uh, trivia question, and there are two correct answers. That's one right. is an old word, and the other one is a new word for the same compound. That's correct. Excellent. All right, Dieter. Yep. Well, thanks as always. I learned that one in biology in Germany, south of Munich. <laughs> we'll bring you, uh, bring you back in for the roundup. Can you stick Certainly, around? But I think I think we touched on something that really is interesting, and I think it it, it needs some studying. I, I I I would like to see that. Not everything that we are doing today may be wonderful for us. I don't know. Well, we're going to talk more about that in the second half here. Super. All right. Thank you, Dieter. Well, Doctor Sublet. Now we met at the IAQA conference, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and you were talking with a group of people, and um, one of the reasons that I I find your talk so interesting was that you're taking a proactive approach and and kind of a different approach than what I've seen in other, uh, from other physicians, let's say, with respect to the indoor environment. And I'm curious, when did you first realize indoor environments were contributing to allergy and asthma issues in your patients? 
Well, I think at the very beginning, I mean, it's, uh, we, we, uh, I was fortunate enough to train with, uh, in a situation where the, uh, one of my mentors was very interested in, especially filtration as being a, uh, a solution. But, uh, in allergy, we all recognize, and, and, and when Dr. You know, Tom Platts Mills, for instance, uh, came from the UK, uh, uh, from Britain and, uh, and at the University of Virginia and, um, the, uh, late 70s early 80s and he was one of the early uh, researchers on dust mite allergy so i think uh, i probably uh, at the time i was in training and, and beginning my career it was when there was a lot of uh, uh, research and initial information being um, forthcoming on, on a lot of these uh, triggers for instance when i first started training we just talked about house dust and and then since then we now know that house dust contains uh, uh, dust mite. Uh, we we uh, reported out early one of the early reports on cockroach allergy uh, uh, back in the uh, uh, early 90s when cockroach allergy was felt to be only inner city. We uh, probably published the first report on cockroach allergy uh, being you know more of a generally a widespread issue. And then now we know mouse is there, and so there's been a lot of development on indoor uh, environments, uh, understanding. Uh, uh, just understanding better what's going on in the environment uh, compared to what it was when I first started. So I've kind of grown up in that and with interest in that area. What's a home health assessment? Well, that's when we, uh, uh, in a formal way, try to go in and look at the uh, environment uh, in a home and try to determine what may be in the environment of the individual that could be a trigger for, um, in our case, allergy and asthma type uh, uh, symptomatology. Um, we uh, work with people who've had expertise. I, mean, I think the key is, uh, as we've, uh, in some discussions we've had in the past, Joe, uh, it, it, you have to have an understanding not only of the medical issues, but also the, um, the building science behind uh, how buildings and homes function and then what could be there lurking, you know, underneath the, the carpet or in the carpet or in the bed or wherever. Uh, that's not going to be just really obvious. You go in and do a home assessment. There's a, in the, in this uh, home where there's no smokers and there's a ashtray sitting there full of used cigarette butts. So it's, it's sometimes can be real obvious. Other times it can be, a, you know, where you have to do a little detective work. It could be a problem with the HVAC uh, system. Uh, there's just a lot of uh, potential um, uh, issues. And then, so you have to have someone that has a knowledge base to understand what the triggers are and then what to look for that uh, would be uh, uh, hiding there that may be the, the underlying culprit. Well, you've got a, a big practice there in, uh, well, in three states, I guess, in Indiana and in uh, Kentucky, and I guess it was, uh, I don't recall the third state off the top of my head, but how do you handle... Two states, actually. Oh, two, two states, okay. Two states. How do you, in your... In your practice, how do you handle getting people to do these home health assessments? Well, we, we uh, when, I think the real key for us is we take an approach where we call it targeted avoidance. So, so what we do is uh, when, when the individual comes in, whether it's a child or the adult, we will take a detailed environmental history as part of our initial evaluation. So we ask them a lot of questions <clears throat> about their, their home or work environments. And then from that, um, 
you know, they're seeing us for some problem, so we will identify the problem, uh, maybe allergy, asthma, or as we mentioned, some people have the symptoms without really having allergies, so we'll do allergy skin testing, identify what triggers there may be in their environment that are actually showing up on their skin testing. So this is used dust mite, for example, or, um, or the horse we were talking about, I think, offline before with the Kentucky Derby. Uh, so maybe, they, uh, they, maybe they're a uh, uh, family comes in, their child has uh, symptoms of asthma, and we do the skin testing, and they have dust mite allergy, and they have cat allergy, and they have maybe horse allergy, and maybe a mole, maybe alternary mole. Uh, then we will discuss with them uh, what we call targeted avoidance that they need to get, you know, do uh, specific things related to mite, uh, specific things related to uh, uh, the cat and then the horse if possible uh, and mole. Now, sometimes we'll have people that they, they their environments are more, much more complex. Maybe they have uh, uh, water incursion issues that they don't even realize are causing a problem. Uh, or maybe, uh, for instance, I have this real severe asthmatic uh, that I've been following for a few years now uh, who lives in an underground-type house. So they build it you know, into the side of a hill. And uh, so sometimes it's real simple, and we can figure it out just from the history and seeing them in the office and talking to them about it. And there's other, other people who have much more complex or environments we can't really figure out from the history, and that's when uh, doing the, uh, the home inspections can really be helpful. Uh, Another piece is you may have someone that you're concerned about adherence to the, some of the recommendations we uh, that we make, and and then uh, it can be of helpful to have someone go into their home and actually help them with that. And that's what they've been doing. Um, uh, for instance, the big project out in Kansas City uh, through Children's Mercy Hospital that Kevin Kennedy's been involved in. They actually proactively go into these homes and try to help these families with. Uh, uh, sometimes fairly basic remediation type uh, uh, issues, but but they need that they need that expertise. Someone coming in actually showing them how to do it. And we we hope to make this like a four part series where we have Kevin come in and talk about exactly what he does in the homes, and then we talked about maybe having a, a nurse practitioner on to discuss what their role is. I, I assume they have a big role in things. Can you briefly? Tell us what their role is within this targeted avoidance. Well, we have, uh, in our practice, uh, we have eight allergists and eight nurse practitioners involved, and, and they do a lot of the uh, educational aspect of it. Uh, they're real knowledgeable about both the environmental history taking and also uh, specifically uh, targeting these different um, uh, components that may be causing the, maybe the underlying triggers. So by having them involved too, it's just a way to leverage our uh, professional um, um, you know, ex- an extension of what we do. And, and really, uh, the, most nurse practitioners have an expertise in patient education that may go beyond a lot of physicians. Although that's an area I'm kind of interested in. In general, they can really help us with educating the uh, the patients. So you've got the the physician, then you've got a nurse or a nurse practitioner doing the education. You've got someone that may come in and help with uh, actually doing a home visit, and right. then someone that may actually help remediate the problem. Right. Okay. And you've got a list. I'm, I'm I just pulled up your list of ten tips for improving indoor air quality and reducing allergen and particulate exposure. And I, I just wanted to kind of review these real quick and then ask you a couple questions if that's okay. 
I think number one is obvious, I think, to a lot of us, no smoking inside the home at any time. But um, I'm just curious, how, how big of a problem is that? Well, unfortunately, in our, where, we, where we live, uh, smoking, I think Kentucky still leads the nation in smoking. So uh, um, we, we uh, wrestle with that 800-pound gorilla every day. And, uh, um, and again, it's, it's a matter of continuous educa- continuing education <laughs> and trying to just to uh, educate the uh, families that, that the smoke exposure can be a, not only a direct trigger but a, a, a long-term problem. You know, uh, there's now data even that a smoking a pregnant mom can uh, increases the risk for that child, even if she start, were to stop smoking um, at the time the child was born, never smoke around the child once they're born, there's still an increased incidence of asthma and allergy and a whole list of other uh, bad you know, things that that child can experience. So, so it's very important to educate our population to try to uh, reduce smoke exposure. I can see I'm not going to be able to get through all these ten, all ten of these. Why don't we do it this way? What are the most, uh, of your list there, what are the most important ones maybe that you could point out for us? Well, I think I think uh, there's some there's some ones that are general, like we mentioned smoking. Others are more specific. So talking about the general ones, that everybody needs to know is we try to talk about humidity, and we I think in the indoor air quality arena, we know that uh, moisture and ventilation are two big issues. So that's something that can really uh, be a, a kind of a general thing to recommend is try to keep your humidity at a reasonable level, and avoid using vaporizers, humidifiers, and so forth. That that may be at risk for the de- uh, developing problems, um, and then air cleaning is another uh, area. We we recommend uh, making sure that you have your furnace, your HVAC system inspected regularly. Make sure there's no problem with the uh, heat exchanger. We may have carbon monoxide issues, things like that. So, just regular maintenance of those types of things are very important. And we do recommend a a uh, taking an approach of using your HVAC system as a um, uh, whole house air filter. Now, I'm not a real big component of having uh, to go out and spending huge amounts of money on this type of thing. I think there are, um, you can have a, a good air quality air uh, furnace filter on your system and change that regularly and attain uh, uh, a good level of particulate control. And I think ASHRAE and some of their new recommendations uh, have agreed to that uh, approach. Um, and then just ma- maintaining, you know, you know your um, uh, gas appliances if you have them make sure fireplaces are maintained and then the other um, piece would be if you 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 know, back to the moisture issue using your vent fans as a way to uh, pull moisture out of your uh, um, home and, and in areas like kitchens and bathrooms to make sure you keep that air flowing and you're not having moisture buildups where you may have increased risk for mold so that's probably the overview. Then specific targets would be like the uh, encasings on mattress, getting carpeting out of bedrooms, things like that, where you may have uh, more specific uh, uh, situations you need to deal with based on their allergy testing. Dr. Sublet, we've had some other people talk about carpet, including someone from the Carpet and Rug Institute, and you know they're very defensive you know, when it comes to this advice to remove carpet. And I'm wondering, I mean, have you found that it's helped your patients, or is this a recommendation that just gets repeated or parroted from, you know, one journal to another? Have you actually seen removal of carpet be beneficial? 
you know, there, there have been studies comparing uh, asthma and allergy triggers, uh, you know, uh, events in, in carpeting and uncarpeted areas. I think what they have tried to say is the carpet acts as a filter, which uh, you may argue that that happens, that it will trap particulates. But what we uh, we know that doesn't happen with a filter is you don't take it and kind of wave it around the air. Uh, so if you look at uh, activity on a carpeted surface, you have a bunch of kids running around, or uh, there's a lot of particulates in that carpet that accumulates, gets thrown up into the air, where a smooth surface floor, you can remove them a lot more effectively. Um, so I think that the uh, the real key is that the, most of the, all the studies have shown that smooth surface flooring is a much easier um, way to keep uh, particulates down. You can you can remove them by you know damp mopping or using something that picks up particulates off the floor and have a fairly um, smooth environment versus having a, a anything that's going to be like a big sponge that's a reservoir for increased. Uh, release into the uh, breeding zone as uh, from activity i'm curious um what you know we talked about having the nurses and uh education and so on what how common is that now within the allergy and asthma physician community that they're doing this type of education and then take it a step further how common is it that they're looking at home health assessments or targeted uh avoidance I think on the in the in the last ten to twelve years, we we've had uh, nurse practitioners working in our practice. Um, I think our first one we the one that joined us was maybe twenty years ago. But we've had a real an, uh, initiative, I guess, to have practitioners involved for the last twelve years. Now they're capable. You know, the nurse practitioners can see patients. You know, diagnose, work under or with our physicians. Um, when we first started uh, having practitioners with us, it was very, very unusual. Uh, there were just a handful around the country. Matter of fact, we were probably one of the first practices, allergy practices in the country to uh, have a nurse practitioner. And then we, we added pretty rapidly. We actually kind of set the bar, I guess, uh, some of the work we did early on. We used to we call it team approach, where we, we had the practitioner and the physician work very closely together. Previous to that, they uh, they had primarily worked in a capacity where they would see maybe a follow-up patient or kind of like what they call position extenders. They really kind of took the the heat off the position, so so um, forth, just due to high volume. So we really incorporated them in what we do. Um, now, as far as um, what was the second part of your question? The targeted Joel? avoidance. How how common oh, is that? Uh, unfortunately, you know, there's data, like there's been some nice studies on this showing that it's effective. I think it's not quite there yet. Um, I think there tends to be still um, more of what I call a shotgun approach where, the, you, you know, people are handed maybe folders or multiple pages that just do everything. You know, that's one reason I kind of did distilled it down what I call my top ten tips where you, you kind of take the, the real meat of what could be done or should be done and, and say this is what you really need to do. And this other stuff is probably, it may be helpful, but it's not as critical. So anytime you can focus, you're better off. So rather than telling everybody they need to get rid of their dogs and cats, well, maybe there's not a factor involved that they're not allergic to their dog or cat, it's better to focus on saying, well, you really need to take care of uh, 
you know, not smoking in the house and covering your encasing if you're dust mite allergic or whatever that is. Or maybe they are allergic to their dog and cat. You really need to emphasize that get that animal out of your bedroom and do some of the filtration uh, recommendations, which can be helpful for animal allergens especially. So I think the targeted avoidance, you'll see more and more um, uh, move in that direction, but it still tends to be, I see most uh, uh, most allergists will still use more of a shotgun approach. And when you go beyond the allergist to the primary care, you see a lot of kind of, uh, there's not nearly as much knowledge out there at the, at the uh, primary care level, family physicians, pediatricians, and internal medicine specialists as there maybe should be or we'd like to see uh, on the avoidance portion of it, to the point a lot of times they've never really been maybe being discussed with the patient, with the individuals. Now, I, I know that you were, you're very active in trying to promote that within the medical community, and, and I believe this, what can you do or what you can do about the environment, the interactive workshop at the annual meeting of the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology was in November of 2006. Was that not an attempt on, on your part and others like-minded to get this information out to other uh, physicians and other allergists and, and, and asthma doctors to try and get it this was. to be? And how was it received? Oh, it was very well received. Um, and, and to my knowledge, uh, that may be the first time we've ever had a medical meeting that really brought in uh, very knowledgeable building science people and, and indoor air quality people to be part of that. Uh, for instance, I did a my symposium, uh, part of that uh, uh, I did with, uh, with uh, uh, Carl, not, not Carl, Carl Grimes was there, but I did with Doug Garrett. Um, with building performance of Austin, Texas, and then we had other we had the EPA people there. We had a uh, it was really a um, we, I think for the first time we pulled a group of people in. Now we've done some similar conferences with you know less numbers uh, on the building science side, affordable comfort, and just as you mentioned, we just did this uh, session at the Indoor Air Quality Association meeting. So I start I think the. It's really, for me, very uh, rewarding to start seeing us cross, you know, cross the aisle, so to speak, which Congress could do as well. Uh, <laughs> and we start working, you know, working together on some of these issues because I think we both see, uh, you know, I always say it's like the blind man and the elephant. We we all see different perspectives of this, and we need to all start looking at the elephant, you know, together where we we kind of unify how we approach it, and it can be a real, I think, down the road, really a, a great, uh, a great thing. Well, I want to personally thank you for promoting that. I know that you've worked hard at it, and I know that it's a you know something that's going to take some time to gather momentum. I also want to let our read, uh, listeners know that we will post your uh, 10 tips for improving indoor air quality and reducing allergen and particulate exposure on the iaqradio.com site, and then we'll get your site at the end of the roundup. But it's getting late here, and we've got to go to the roundup. Can you stick with us for another five minutes or so? Oh, sure.
right, we're all right. We're going to go around here, and and what I'd like to do is uh, first, as usual, we just had such a great guest that it's tough to finish in an hour here, but. Uh, We'll go over a couple minutes, and the rules have changed. We can do that here. Uh, so let's bring Dr. Wow back in, see if he has any comments or questions. Then I'm going to go to Cliff, myself, and then Dr. Sublet. At the end, we're going to ask you if you can uh, add anything or if uh, you'd like to put some contact information out. Okay. Dieter? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. I have been working for the last week or 10 days or thereabouts on a talk, which I will be giving up at the summer camp in uh, Westford, Massachusetts. And um, uh, Joe Stiburik, the, uh, the, 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 the instigator, the, the, the camp manager, um, asked me to uh, do a talk, 45-minute talk on filtration. And it is absolutely incredible. All the points that were brought up, I will be covering. <laughs> oh, I should be there. Uh, yeah, I heard uh, Joe told me earlier. Yes, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to meet you again. And um, uh, we have a lot of work to do in that arena. Uh, we, we, we snuck by. A lot of people think that they buy a 99-cent filter, which I just installed in my system, Mr. Filter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they think that you know, by changing that filter once a month or whatever, you know, they keep the house uh, uh, clean of, of everything, which of course is not the case. It's a lot more complicated. And that is exactly what I will be talking about over there. There are a lot of things that have to be considered, and a lot of measurements have to be taken, which are not very easily done. So I will concentrate on that and the fun part of filtration, on how to cheat and um, uh, what else, uh, uh, and, and how to get by by uh, regulations um, the, the hard way. Yeah, you know, with science. We are lying with science, yes. Dieter, I didn't get a chance to tell you, um, Dr. Sublet, you, you're involved with, al is it AllergyZone.com? Right, right. AllergyZone.com, and they, they do have filters that, uh, you know, consumers can purchase that uh, Dr. Sublet and his group have worked on to, you know, make sure I that they're a good filter. Joe, we needed those 10 years ago, and nobody made them. I don't know yeah, how we long. We started about five years ago. Okay. Right yeah. And you're, you're, we needed them 20 years ago. Yeah, once we decided to button up our houses and don't let fresh air in, and, uh, you know, the, the, well, the EPA knows that, that the indoor air pollution is higher than the outdoor air pollution. We know that for 25 years. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that has been uh, recorded in the literature all over the place, and we better learn on how to do that nicely and efficiently and uh, um uh, in, 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 in a way to really reduce those exposures for those people. Fortunately, I'm not, I can get away with a 99-cent filter in my furnace, or it's now an air conditioner, um, but uh, there are a lot of people who are allergic, and uh, a, a normal system just does not work. It's as simple as that. And our goal has been to develop a, you know, something that's cost-effective. You know, it's, uh, you know, it should as you be, know, yeah. a lot of these systems are very expensive, and uh, so the less number, there's actually, believe it or not, census data on um, on how many people are out there. There's 105 million households that have uh, basically one-inch uh, HVAC-type systems. Sure. So you'd estimate out of that, if you look at families, uh, probably 50 million households or 60 million. It would be about the right number that have some allergy asthma type 
you know, not even counting um, other respiratory or immune problems yep. that could benefit from adequate filtration, and, and a big percentage of those people. And we're actually supplying our filters to the uh, Kansas City group. You know, they're they're using we're we're donating them to the, Great. this population Great. Uh, to uh, help. Uh, uh, you know, again, multi multiple uh, interventions, not just one single intervention, is a real key there. Targeted. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, well, it reminds me. Remember, of the old days, you had to be very rich to be protected by an airbag. Only Mercedes. Mercedes was the first one. You had to buy a $50,000 Mercedes to have your nose protected by an airbag. Well, yeah, today you can buy a Kia or whatever, you know, a Volkswagen with it. And uh, I think we got to go the same route over here that we have to make the people aware of it, that it is available, that it will be uh, something that is beneficial to them. And the price is going to go down. There's no question about it. And I have been at the um, uh, exhibits over here with Indo Air Quality Association, and uh, there are a lot of people who are looking at that, and some of them want to make money with it. That's fine with me. I have absolutely no problem. The guys who put the airbags into my car, I hope they make a profit, and I hope the thing works when I need it. <laughs> and uh, I think that's the route we got to go, and it has something to do with education. and. Uh, and talk and talk and I said, look, fellows, there is something out there that's better than what you have. Very good. Cliff? Uh, okay. Dr. Uh, Silhouette, my son yeah. suffered from pediatric asthma. He continues to deal with it as a young adult. Animals seem to set it off, particularly cats. And what I don't understand is why chemicals, even strong ones, such as ammonia and hair dye and all this other stuff, don't set them off. Is this uncommon? No, some people just have various triggers that will be, I mean, his is an allergic trigger, and he obviously doesn't have the issue with the, uh, what we call the non-allergic triggers, the more irritant triggers. Uh, and he probably, reason, uh, he probably has more of a kind of an acute sudden onset of symptoms and, and probably doesn't have a lot of chronic inflammation in his airway. Mm -hmm. uh, so he has more of the bronchospasm component we talked about at the beginning of the show where just sudden onset of a more of a severe, uh, more of a, I don't know how severe is, but more of an allergic trigger that really is just, it's, it's more just an immediate effect and not as much that chronic inflammation where you have uh, these other types of triggers play more of a role. Thank you. I had one quick question on the, uh, another, I don't know if it was a presentation or a paper here in my notes, effective remediation methods for a healthy indoor environment at the Healthy Indoor Environment Conference of the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. That was just last year in November. What was, the, um, what was that conference about? Was that just all physicians, or was it a mixed bag again? And can you give us maybe just one quick tip on what is an effective remediation method? Well, that, that was a, a mixed bag, and I think one of the things, uh, you know, we talked, to, uh, uh, Doug Garrett actually talked about the, um, you know, moisture control and um, in, in our particular um, component. And, you know, remediation would be just better construction planning, uh, you know, and trying to deal with specific issues that may come up. So uh, usually moisture control would be one of the, I think, one of the, uh, first things that we would look at, uh, whether there's water encouraging, getting that fixed, you know, simple things like getting your gutters away from your house. You guys know all this, but a lot of people don't. A lot of physicians have no clue about this. So we were trying to teach them about things to 
maybe discuss with their patients. I mean, I sometimes will see a patient, I can just tell them to get gutter extensions, and, and that solves the problem. Uh, where they may not even think of that, they're having you know water coming into their basement, for instance, or or issues like um, you know uh, barriers being on the wrong side of the wall, maybe a vinyl uh, wallpaper in an older uh, home that's brick and no uh, vapor barriers on the outside, and they're getting their vapor barrier on the internal wall and and, and having mold problems. So so we're trying to go through a whole checklist of potential uh, problems like that that are relatively common that would educate this. It was mainly the physicians in the audience who would benefit. Okay, and the last thing I wanted to do is make sure that um, we give you the opportunity to add anything, or is there anything that we missed uh, that you'd like to add? Well, I think we've covered a wide range of things. I think, uh, you know, my top ten tips, we kind of focus on certain things, and we just talked about air filtration. That's a special interest I have, and and uh, if people are interested more about that, they can go to our website, AllergyZone.com. And on our um, my, my uh, practice website is FamilyAllergy.com. We have links into a lot of the uh, national uh, organizations like uh, the Academy and College, American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. They can give them more specific information about a lot of the uh, allergy and asthma problems we uh talked about today so those are both good resources for them but i just want to thank uh, you for having me on i think uh, as we were talking about earlier it's um, important that we have this cross-pollination no pun intended uh, among the allergy uh, community and the uh, indoor air quality uh, uh, community to try to really uh, help our uh, the, the people out there who need the help well, we certainly appreciate you helping us with that, and this will hopefully be the first in a four-part series we're going to do. We'll probably uh, do it every other week, and uh, we hope to have you back down the road as well. Thanks thanks so much for joining us. Joe, thanks so much. All right. Our pleasure. Before we go, we'd have to say thanks once more to Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. All right, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks again to our tremendous guest, Dr. Jim Sublett. I also want to thank the Z-Man for being here, helping us out this week again. Always my pleasure, Joe. Of course, the uh, wingman at the controls, great job once again. Our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, but most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Great number of downloads this week. Things are rocking. We'll see you back here next week at Friday at noon for the next edition of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 